Well, with a little over a week to go to the Super Bowl, Adam and I are here to talk about the week of games, the teams that were eliminated in the playoffs, and what we think they can look forward to next season, and also to take some of our guesses at the big award winners in the NFL this season. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. So, I mean, the Super Bowl is next week. So we don't need to get into it right now. And I think that uh, this special week that we have before the Super Bowl, we don't need to spend, you know, speculating at this point. And honestly, I'd much rather talk about, you know, some of the big news this week, talk about some of the teams that we saw get eliminated from the playoffs. And and like you said, Daniel, what they can look forward to next year, um, things that they need to focus on over the offseason. And then the award winners will be a a fun way to cap off this episode. But um, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the championship games a little bit before we move on to all of that. And um, I have to say, Daniel, I was not expecting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be victorious. And uh, that first game was uh, far more exciting, in my opinion, than the second one. And um, there was a lot of a lot of things that confused me <laughs> in that game. And uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. We didn't text too much about it on Sunday, but uh, yeah, what did you think of that one? Yeah, you know, it was... Um... It was the result I wanted, and I, I wasn't shy about saying that last week. And um, I don't really understand all the credit Tom Brady is getting. He threw three picks. Two of them were 100% his fault. One of them, Mike Evans, uh, on a drive, dropped two really ugly um, balls, and, and one of them was a pick. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it to me, is just this continuing. You can't count Tom Brady out in the playoffs. But, but all that being said, um, Green Bay – essentially chose to lose that game. What was it? Down eight points with just a couple minutes left in the game on the Bucks' eight-yard line and elected to kick a field goal instead of going for it. Um, I, that was one of the worst decisions I have ever seen by a good football team. You know, you see bad teams make those calls all the time, but um, you have Aaron Rodgers and you're going up against Tom Brady. Like, you really think that if you don't convert right then, that you're going to get another chance to touch the ball, and they ultimately didn't. That pass interference call, I, I heard the gripes. It was legit. Um, I, you couldn't not call it. I saw a camera angle today from behind the plane. It was an egregious pass interference. Um, but ultimately, I don't even think the Bucks would have needed that. The, the Packers shot themselves in the foot. They lost the game, and, and Tom Brady's on his way to his 10th Super Bowl. Yeah, so one thing that really stood out to me about that game was it wasn't necessarily even that last drive that the Packers lost the game on. I mean, you know, everyone wanted to focus on that last drive. Like, I mean, the fact that they didn't go for it in the red zone um, and also the pass interference or the holding call after, you know, the, the refs had called a, a vastly different game than that previous to that, that last drive for the Buccaneers. But anyways, I think the game was ultimately lost in the trenches. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive line looked phenomenal. They sacked Rodgers five times, and that was the big difference. Tom Brady played terrible in the second half, threw three interceptions, right? I mean, two only were his fault, Daniel, and I would agree with you on that. But still, the Packers had three opportunities in the row where the Buccaneers drove down the field, turned the ball over via interception, and the Packers couldn't do anything with that. And so, um, quite honestly, I agree that Tom Brady's getting a lot of credit. I don't necessarily believe he deserves um, that really was a Buccaneers defensive line and their performance that won them that game. But um, I will say that the way that the Packers um, performed in the red zone on that last drive was disappointing. You have Devontae Adams, who is 
arguably the best red zone receiver and has been, at least for this year, he was dominating in the red zone, scoring, what, over 14 touchdowns, if I remember correctly. Um, I know that they went to him on first down and he kind of dropped a, you know, a, a pass that was a little bit behind him intentionally. But anyways, I was just extremely surprised that, yeah, that they couldn't convert in the red zone. Anyways, uh, just a weird series of events for the Packers. And then Aaron Rodgers coming out after and saying his, his uh, future is uncertain with them. It was just, it was a really weird day all around for, for the Packers, but um, I'm not sure if you have any other thoughts on that game, Daniel, but the the Bills and Chiefs game was another interesting one. <clears throat> yeah, and I think the Bills and Chiefs ended uh, far more like I was sort of expecting it to. The Chiefs just kind of took it to them. Uh, the Bills looked outmatched. They didn't really look like a team that was ready to compete in, in the, the biggest of big leagues. And I, um, I mean, I don't know, Adam, I, I think you and I both kind of expected this. Kansas City... Um, the 12-point win, great game by Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey had a career day. Tyreek Hill went off. Um, and, and ultimately, the, the Bills just just couldn't do it. Josh Allen was good, but not amazing. His legs did far more work than I think they would have liked them to have to. Um, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, the Bills are a team that I think has a lot to look forward to in the future, but it does feel like they're still just lacking I don't even know if it's players, but just the, this is, sounds so dumb, but like just the attitude to compete with these kind of teams. Right. And I think that, uh, I mean, it was a similar game to what we saw last year in the playoffs with the chiefs, right? The chiefs were down by a couple scores and ultimately came, came back and just dominated for a long stretch after, or in that game after that. Um, and I think for the bills, it, what it does almost boil down to is playoff experience looking at them and who they have on their roster that's been in the playoffs versus the Chiefs who I mean went through what they went through last year and having the continuity that they have from last year I think that that was ultimately what played a big factor right that is a huge game for Josh Allen um it was a road game their first in the playoffs you know so I think that there were a lot of different factors from the first two games um that they played in this past year. And, and so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a learning experience for them. I think they've, they've got a great team there. They've got great coaches. So I wouldn't uh, say that they're not going to be back. I'm pretty confident the bills will be a good team for a while, but ultimately I think that they just were not meant to compete with the chiefs and AFC now does run through Kansas city, right? That's, it's no longer new England. It's going to be Kansas city. You're going to have that team from here on out and build your team to beat them year on out. So then with those those championship games done, right, we have the Super Bowl matchup set. I think it is kind of awesome. You have the best quarterback to ever play and the best quarterback of the NFL right now going head to head. It's going to be a really, really fun game. But like you said, uh, we don't really have a need to, to talk about that yet this week. We'll be breaking it down in a lot more depth next week. So we have a few big news stories from the week. And I think the biggest one and just kind of what feels like another domino in this crazy offseason is um, – Two QB stories. First of all, Matt Stafford and the Lions very much seeming like it's the end of their relationship, agreeing to part ways. Um, and also Deshaun Watson now officially requesting a trade. So both of those seem like deals that are 100% going to happen. It's just going to be a matter of when and for what price. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter today, Daniel, that I thought spoke a lot to what we were just talking about, the, the Chiefs dominance. And so 
Um, they said that teams are reflecting on this year and recognizing that they have to put together rosters that are capable of beating the Chiefs from here on out. And that's something that will be a long um, barrier to any team that wants to win in the NFL. And so I think that's why a lot of teams are evaluating who they have at the quarterback position and are, are making sure that they bring someone into their locker room who they feel they can take um, a chance on to beat the Chiefs. So, I mean, thinking about that with the amount of uncertainty that's found at the quarterback position this offseason, there's so much that's at stake. You know, we see the Rams come out and say that they're not committed to Jared Goff, something else that happened earlier this week. We see just uh, Deshaun Watson, who knows now how valuable he is um, in a trade. He he holds a lot of the cards there, and I think that he could demand a trade to a roster and an organization that he feels um, would be a good fit for him. There's Matt Stafford, who's 32, and um, who I think deserves a lot more credit than he's he's given that you know could go to a team and make them a championship t- caliber team already, right? Ben Roethlisberger saying he wants another shot with the Steelers and he he doesn't care about the money. It comes down to he wants to stay with the, the Steelers. So the quarterback position, Daniel, is going to be evaluated quite heavily by every team. And so, you know, a longtime starter or a, a starter that maybe doesn't give a team a, a shot at beating the Chiefs, I think could be someone who we see getting, um, you know, moved on from, for lack of a better term. It's, it's a wild offseason for that purpose. For yeah, I think the truth is, I think the truth is that we're going to see a lot more um, quarterback movement than we've maybe ever seen before, and that's exciting. Like especially um, in an off season that is going to lack some of the excitement of you know the combine. The probably the draft is going to look different again this year. We're going to be losing some of those really exciting off season things, but um, we're going to get to see. I mean, something pretty crazy with uh with all these quarterbacks potentially on the move and i think in a lot of cases almost certainly uh going to be on the move so that's um just just gonna add so much fun intrigue to the offseason yeah absolutely um another name in that kind of pool of quarterbacks moving is carson wentz potentially too so yeah i uh i don't think we can underscore the uh the importance of how crazy this offseason is going to be at the quarterback position. And we thought last offseason was nuts. This one is going to be um, even bigger with not just older quarterbacks at the end of their time with their, their longtime team, but um, young quarterbacks that are, you know, needing a change of scenery. So um, that's, that's going to be really exciting for sure. And there's a couple teams that are in that mix that we just talked about um, with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans that have both found their head coaches. They were interviewing a ton of people. Um, their process took way longer than some other teams, but ultimately they found their their people. So it's Nick Sirianni for the Eagles um, coming over from the Indianapolis Colts. And then we've got David Coley for the Texans that came over from the Baltimore Ravens. And honestly, the not two names that I expected to become head coaches the last time we, we talked on this podcast, but um, two important franchises that really needed to uh, be clear in who they wanted to to be their coaches with everything that's going on in their organizations. So uh, it sounds like after all those interviews and um, second interviews and everything that those coach or sorry that those franchises are confident in those those hires. Well, I think the biggest story out of out of all of this maybe and yeah, they're they're names that I didn't really know prior to this week. So I, I think the biggest story that comes to mind for me is that the Chiefs are now going to their second Super Bowl in a row and for the second season have not lost a single coach to another hiring. Um, 
that's pretty crazy, especially with these guys who have less well-known names being the ones to go. I think the, the big winner of the moves we saw this week was the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, and I would agree. And um, a big part of the hiring process that you can't hire anyone, I believe, that's still actually in the NFL playoffs. So, I mean, Leslie Frazier was receiving second interviews for the, the Texans job as soon as the Buffalo Bills were eliminated from the playoffs. And Eric Bieniemy now has had two off seasons where he can't be interviewed until after the Super Bowl is over. And I know teams are uh, eager to announce coaching hires and they're eager to, um, you know, to start working on the next season. Ultimately, I think it's a lack of patience in some cases for um, the chief staff hasn't been picked on. So we'll see if they get any, um, yeah, if there's any coordinator movement or any, you know, positional coach movement from the Chiefs. But quite honestly, Daniel, I think that continuity is one of the big, biggest winning factors in the NFL. And the Chiefs have had uh, major success, large in part, I think, to that as well. For sure. For sure. So then with those big stories out of the way, um, Adam, you and I kind of want to take some time, just every team that has been eliminated from the playoffs, just quickly, if we have... Um, any thoughts kind of as them going into the offseason or going forward? Um, because, yeah, for the most part, these teams now, no one really talks about. So we just wanted to give them all um, a minute or so of just, you know, what can their fan bases look forward to or not look forward to next season? And um, let's start off with the Indianapolis Colts, Adam. Any, any thoughts to share for them? Uh, I think they have a bright future in Jonathan Taylor. I think in general, their team looks really good. They have... I think a decent amount of weapons at the receiver position. Um, their offense is very capable of succeeding. Their defense is very capable of succeeding. I think that their defense has the opportunity to step up, add a couple pieces in the offseason. Ultimately, the success of the Colts will come down to the person that lines up under center this season. And so if they can get someone that brings them, um, you know, a 30-touchdown season and minimal interceptions, I think this team can be um, phenomenal, get back to the playoffs, and, and make a run for the Super Bowl for sure. So... I see Stafford rumors to the Colts, and ultimately, if they can land uh, a strong quarterback in replacement of Phillip Rivers, I think the Colts can be a really good football team next year. Yeah, I think that's like kind of the big thing for them is going to be the quarterback. They're a roster definitely ready to uh, to go and make um, a lot of noise in the league. They just need that last piece. Phillip Rivers was a really good stopgap, but with him retiring, um, they're kind of back in a spot where they need somebody so that'll be the big thing for them but they're a team that is primed for um potentially a, a like a few years of of a, of a real super bowl window yeah absolutely what about their division rivals in the tennessee titans daniel they're a team to me that um, is still appealing i uh i mean I, I was pretty high on them this season i was excited for um what they could potentially do in the playoffs and and ultimately they fell short but man Ryan Tannehill has been um, just such an incredible signing for them Derrick Henry is obviously still Derrick Henry and uh, and is locked in to be there for a while um yeah they're, they're a team that I think also has a bright future that division as a whole I mean Deshaun Watson's about to get traded so um maybe it's not worth saying but that division as a whole has some some real uh, potential um, competitivity. That's not even a word over the next few seasons. Um, Tennessee is definitely <laughs> going to be a real threat. I, I really do like what this division has going for it. They have 
good enough QB play, some good running backs, some decent defenses with the with the ability to um, be be factors. And I think Tennessee, yeah, their defense wasn't by any means incredible this year, but um, I think that they are that they're going to continue to be a team that is um, one that you have to really be watching. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I think they will be a team that we'll see in the playoffs for uh, or, or quite a bit over the next maybe five years. And so um, the one thing that I think really stands out from from their season was that they gave up a lot of passing touchdowns. I think that from the pass rush, pass rush perspective, as well as their defensive back play, I think that they need to step up. That was once a, a point in strength for their defense, and now it's not anymore. I think that Mike Vrabel needs to, to make the changes there. To, to strengthen that defense. And you're right, they've got Derrick Henry, who's playing phenomenal. They've got a play-action offense that you know can score nice and quick, which is what you need when you're competing with the Chiefs. So I think for them, if they can spruce up their, their pass defense, not just in their defensive back play, but in the, the pass rush that they send after the quarterback, I think that they can also be a really strong team. And, and they've got the foundation that they need on the offensive side of the ball. So um, I, I, I put them as a contender that can definitely contend with the Chiefs over the next... Um, however many years, but the Steelers are a team I'm not as confident about Daniel, and um, yeah, I'm not sure where you want to start with these guys, but uh, they're a big question mark going into this offseason. Yeah, they feel like a team to me that, um, I mean, that has some things to figure out. First of all, cap space will be one of them. We're going to see some cuts uh, from this team for sure, as I think as we stand right now at the projected cap, they're currently sitting at um, almost 35 mil over. So they're definitely going to have to make some moves to deal with that, whether that's extending Ben or, or whatever that looks like. But um, yeah, they they we raved about this receiving core. They have weapons. I um, mean, this defense is one of the best in the NFL, but um, Ben Roethlisberger is continuing to age. Juju Smith-Schuster, who I believe is a free agent, has been really um, kind of underwhelming since his early success. And uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately they're a team that, I think is going to have to get pretty creative with their money in order to continue to be competitive. But I think we've seen that these really dominant defenses are able to really carry teams. And I think Pittsburgh's might be the type that can really do that for them. Yeah, I would agree. I, uh, I definitely think they need to um, continue to strengthen their defense through acquisitions in the off season, whether the draft or free agency. But I think ultimately the number one thing that will allow this team to contend again would be uh, a, a stronger running game. And James Conner is no longer the guy. Their offensive line needs to get younger and improve. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, if the Steelers focus on their running game, both from the offensive line and from their running back position, I think that they'll have the opportunity to position themselves for success. But when you're dependent on the passing game and solely the passing game, um, I mean, that's n- never a good recipe, as we've seen you know, evidence quite a bit through um, the last 10 years. You need the ability to be multidimensional and not focused on one thing. Um, so anyways, I, uh, I say that that's the recipe for the Steelers to continue to contend. Um, and yeah, I, I'm confident in them. I think with big Ben back, um, if he does come back and if he does reduce the, the size of his contract, I think that they will have the ability to compete again, but um, that's a big asterisk. They really need that running game to be successful. So then we have three teams on the list uh, coming up now that I, I think kind of for me, they all sort of fall into the same category. So I, I'll just kind of talk about them broadly. And then Adam, if you want anything more specific, but with Baltimore, Cleveland and Buffalo, I see three teams that are um, 
primed for potentially years of being top tier threats in the NFL. Um, the AFC is just so strong right now. Baltimore obviously has Lamar Jackson, who even with all my criticism is still a very good quarterback who will continue to develop. Um, and he alone is capable of doing a lot of damage. Cleveland is really starting to be on the upswing. If Baker can develop a little bit further there, they're going to be a really scary team. Nick Chubb is, is incredible and um, they have some good weapons there as well. Although Beckham will be coming back and that and Buffalo, obviously a good football team, I think just needs to age, mature, get some stuff together, keep the, the core unit of that team and, and try to find success before they pay Josh Allen. Yeah. And I agree out of those three teams, I think that Buffalo has the most optimism. Um, I, I think that they do have a really good roster and they're just a few pieces away from, uh, you know, really contending with a team like the Chiefs. But we saw what they're capable of doing and the teams that they're capable of beating. And so I think that, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying and think the Bills provide um, a great opportunity or, or have a great opportunity this offseason to to get the pieces that they need in order to uh, surpass the Chiefs. But um, I'm going <laughs> to, the next three teams, Daniel, I'm going to take a similar snippet to what you did and, and say Washington, uh, Chicago, and the LA Rams in my opinion, I'll have a very similar situation as far as what they need to approach in the offseason, and that is the quarterback position. Um, Washington, I don't know if Alex Smith is going to cut it for you. We know Dwayne Haskins isn't there anymore. Uh, they do need to find someone who can function in that offense. Uh, we saw what Taylor Heineke could do with this roster in the playoffs against a good Buccaneers defense, and so if they have someone that can fill that gap for 17 weeks of the year, um, who knows what that team is capable of, especially in a division that that, that is that bad or has been that bad the chicago bears we know mitch isn't the answer anymore if you want to compete with the packers if you want to compete with the vikings and maybe even the lions you're going to have to get someone behind uh center who is capable of making the plays that you need consistently not just one or two weeks of the year um, so that's a big issue for them and then the rams are not committed to jared goff so if they feel that that's not the answer if that's not who's going to lift them up past the seahawks um and the the cardinals in that division constantly then they're going to have to go somewhere else so um other people may not think that's the same focus for the the rams but i mean i think it's clear the way that they're talking about their offseason right now that the quarterback position is the biggest issue yeah i think that's um definitely something with all of them that is going to be a big story and these i mean these teams um la probably can't afford them but but chicago and washington they've got to be teams that are really really wanting to get deshaun watson on their roster um, so that'll definitely be worth watching. I think Washington has a lot of good pieces in place. If they bring in Deshaun Watson, I mean, Chicago is the same. He would, I mean, immediately turn these teams into uh, some, some really, really scary threats, especially because Washington's division is absolute garbage and you bring any kind of competitiveness and, and you could, I mean, easily go 12 and four. So then three last teams, all three of which I think are, um, I mean, they're teams that at least up till now were always defined by, um, their quarterback. And so starting with Seattle, I mean, as long as Russell Wilson is there, I feel like I don't need to say anything else. Russell Wilson can win you 10 games all on his own. If he gets any help, you'll get 12 wins. You'll be a Super Bowl threat. He's just that good. Russell Wilson um, is hitting a peak in his career. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, I'm sure in five years, we'll be talking about him as one of the best to ever do it. And I think that's kind of all you need to know for Seattle. Yeah, I think um, another thing for Seattle is that they need to uh, really build their offensive line. Um, that's one area for them that's struggling, and they need to be better at running the ball. They need to be better at protecting Russell Wilson and giving him that time to 
to stand back there and make plays, right? DK can get open down the field um, quite constantly or, or quite a bit. And so I have confidence in them that um, if they have an offensive line and if they ha- if they put a really good line in front of Russell Wilson, that this team would actually have um, beat the Rams and potentially made a run in the NFC. So I think that that is a huge difference maker for them. Um, but when it comes to the Saints and the Packers, Daniel, I have to say that it's going to be finding uh, stability in their quarterback position. I think that they both have really strong rosters overall and rosters that can compete and get them far, especially in the NFC, which is a bit more wide open than the AFC. Um, quarterback stability. Uh, I mean, at this point in time, it's basically the motto of the league, but having a good quarterback is going to help you win a lot of the the time. And so for the Saints, they need to find a replacement for Drew Brees if he's gone. For the Packers, they need to either keep Aaron Rodgers or find someone that's capable of delivering to the same caliber that he is. So not sure if you feel the same, but those are huge focuses for those teams this offseason. Yeah, and I think the odds of Aaron Rodgers not being with the Packers next year are um, incredibly, incredibly low. I'm not saying it won't happen, but I just, I feel like the odds of of them being dumb enough to move on after the season he had, and, and they've talked like that's definitely not an option. Yeah, for the Saints... This is interesting. I, I don't think James Winston is the answer. I don't think Taysom Hill is the answer, unless maybe he is. I, I've seen some things from him that are encouraging, but um, they're a team that, that might have just plummeted from Super Bowl threat to can they even win their division again? I think both of them have a lot of work to do. Green Bay has some questions to answer after losing to Tampa Bay, who I w- am very willing to acknowledge um, was not the better football team. And the Saints, they need a quarterback now, like you said, and that's still forever will be the most important position in professional football. So that just cannot be understated. Yeah. One thing I'll say for the Packers too, um, their defensive backs were not great. And I I haven't watched as many games of theirs this season to know, but I would say that their defensive backs, if that's something that was consistent over the course of the year, um, you know, King getting beat and and everyone other than Jair Exel uh, or sorry, Jair Alexander, um, everyone other than Alexander and their defensive back core, I don't know if they're the answer. So they really do, do need to improve their defensive back core as well, I would say. Um, so not just Aaron Rodgers is the issue there, but um, definitely someone they need to keep happy. So then, yes, even as we're talking about some of the teams moving forward to next year, there are still um, things to happen this season. And one of the big ones is NFL honors and the awards. Um, they're coming pretty quick here, I think, is it? tomorrow night am i crazy when is that i think it's the night before the super bowl oh i remember oh yeah sorry it's the night before the super bowl not the night before um the pro bowl so we have coming up yeah a lot of awards to be handed out and um kind of our what are our our quick hits right these these guys who we think um are going to be taking home these awards i think some are more obvious than others but adam I'd, i'd love to hear your thoughts kind of starting with what I think is probably the most boring one, which is the executive of the year. Who are you thinking gets that one? Uh, plain and simple, Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills, their general manager. Um, making the move to bring in Stephon Diggs is a huge one. You know, over 1,500 yards receiving this year helped Josh Allen take a huge leap in his third year. Um, not that it was found in that single move, but I just think that the Buffalo Bills have put together a really good roster and uh, paid off for them this year. So I think that the award would go his way. What do you think, though? I'm happy you said Brandon Bean, because I was I was jumping back and forth between the guy ultimately picked and Brandon Bean. So that's, um, that's good. We'll get some diversity here. I think Jason Licht 
uh, from Tampa Bay. You look at the moves they made this offseason and how that's impacted this team. Um, it's hard to to under or to overstate his value. Um, they obviously managed to bring in Tom Brady, but on top of that, they re-signed Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, um, brought back in Dominican Sue. They signed Tom Brady, traded for Rob Gronkowski, drafted Tristan Wirfs, who's been very good, drafted Antoine Winfield Jr., who has been absolutely exceptional for a second-round pick. Even Tyler Johnson, I believe their fourth or third or fourth-round receiver, um, has, has done actually some – his stats haven't been amazing, but the times that he's made plays, they have looked good. And this is now a, a Super Bowl team. They're, they're going to be playing in the Super Bowl. So it's really hard to, in my mind, to see someone who did more for their team than he did. Yeah, absolutely. And the efforts to recruit Tom Brady alone are, are a big deal. So, um, yes, that roster on paper looks really good. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he did have to bring in a lot of names. And you're right, in the draft, they had big acquisitions, never mind free agency. So I, I definitely would not uh, complain if he was ultimately selected there. But um, I have a feeling you and I are going to differ when we talk about the coach of the year, Daniel. So who did you go with? This one is really hard for me. Um, I mean, coach of the year is always really hard because it, it like, you know, is it um, the coach who took a horrible roster and did his best with it? Is it a coach who kind of took the pieces and put them together and, you know, maybe earned the team a few more wins than they would have had otherwise? But it, it's hard to know exactly kind of what the, the standard is. But um, one that I'm leaning towards and I, I, I ah, I think this one makes sense. I really like Brian Flores for this award. Um, no, the Miami Dolphins were not um, an incredible dominant team that, that even made the playoffs in the end. But Brian Flores um, has done a lot for this team over the last few seasons. And I think just seeing uh, the development of, of Tua Tagovailoa, no, not playing amazing, but doing well enough. And him kind of knowing when to pull him in ways that wouldn't wreck his confidence, putting Fitzpatrick into win games, all that sort of thing. Um, making this defense like actually pretty darn good. And with, with some names on it too, that are becoming kind of your top tier NFL names. I really, really like what Brian Flores has done. I'm excited for what he's going to continue to do in Miami. And I think that he is probably the most deserving coach. Yeah, I would agree, Daniel. And that was one of the names of my notes. And in the event that you selected his name, I was going to select someone else. So um, the person who I think is right up there as well, deserving this award is Ron Rivera. Um, took over mm. a Washington football team that had a lot of issues this offseason, right? Um, we we all remember some of the news stories that came out early in this this offseason, or early last season, I mean, uh, you know, that were all over the news anyways. Took a, in my opinion, a very bad football team, built it up, brought in the right coaching staff, um, made this defense into a very good defense, one of the best in the league. Um, and ultimately made a playoff push and know that the uh, division is not good. But I, I have to say that I have nothing but respect for everything um, Ron Rivera has done. And as of today, he's officially cancer-free. So that's huge news as well. Um, and ultimately, I think that, yeah, it's just, it's really important what he did for that franchise. And so I think that that deserves recognition as well. But um, yeah, again, the, the second person I put up right there with him is Brian Flores Daniel. So I think uh, both those guys are very well-deserving. So then going from there, I don't even know if this one is a conversation. Um, Alex Smith, next. Yeah, comeback player of the year. I, the guy might have died, um, had to have a ridiculous amount of surgeries, 
was never supposed to play football again. And did he play great? Heck no. But did he play and help his team to some wins? Absolutely. It is Alex Smith. If it's not, I'm going to riot. Yeah, exactly. Some other names that would be thrown in the ring in years where Alex Smith didn't do what he did was, I mean, maybe Ben Roethlisberger. Um, That would be another name that I'd be okay being in that same sort of pool, especially with how well he played over the course of the year. But um, yeah, definitely agree that it's Alex Smith this year and there's no debate. Uh, When it comes to the rookie of the year, Daniel, um, who are your offensive and defensive rookies of the year, right? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask that question and then I'm going to go on a spiel here. We know offensive is either a debate between um, Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson. Um, And then we know defensive is generally Chase Young with, I mean, maybe Antoine Winfield Jr. in that conversation as well, but uh, ultimately which of those, those two guys on offense did you pick and did you pick Chase Young on defense? Yeah. So here's, here's always my frustration. Um, Awards are very QB heavy. And I, I do not want to in any way minimize what Justin Herbert did uh, this, uh, this season. Like, one of the best rookie performances I can ever remember. Um, he only played in 15 games, threw 31 touchdowns, 4,300 yards. Um, dude was exceptional. Uh, the reason, though, that I lean to Justin Jefferson is that, yes, Justin Herbert had an amazing season for a rookie QB. Justin Jefferson just had an amazing season, period, um, for, for any receiver. Rookies, veterans, doesn't matter. 88 catches, 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns as functionally the number two receiver in an offense. Um, that's, that's special. I am so high on Justin Jefferson. I think he deserves this award. I think Minnesota Vikings fans should just realize that they have had a ridiculous wealth of receiver talent um, over the last 20 years, but I mean, especially over the last few. And I mean, that essentially is Stefan Diggs for Justin Jefferson trade. I think they might've won, or we'll see in the next few years that they may have ultimately won. From a cost perspective, I think that they're definitely winning at this point in time. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I also sided with Justin Jefferson. I think having 1,400 yards as a rookie, surpassing Randy Moss, I believe, for the rookie record, um for a receiver if i remember correctly that's a huge deal and so justin herbert coming in playing the way he did is is great he isn't a bit more of an established offense right having a guy like keenan allen as your number one receiver is a a big deal and not that kirk cousins isn't a a great quarterback but he is sort of you know middle of the pack and justin jefferson put up the numbers that he did he uh he was absolutely phenomenal um the fact that he's you know ahead of Devontae Adams when it comes to receiving yards and seven yards behind DeAndre Hopkins. Like it's just, um, that's outstanding numbers for a receiver in general, never mind a rookie. So I, uh, I sided with him as well, Daniel. As for defense. Yeah. I, Chase Young just feels really easy. Seven and a half sacks is by no means crazy, but he was disruptive. Um, we saw a lot of clips of head coaches just praising him in post games uh yeah he's gonna be a great player for washington jeremy chin is another name you hadn't mentioned that um is probably gonna get some some talk for that award but i I think not giving it to chase young would solely be trying to not go with the obvious guy which is just not a fair way to give awards so i just have to go with him yeah i would agree and i think that washington's um ability to like to turn around their defense like that in one season was phenomenal too and I think that Chase Young was sort of the face of that so I think that he receives the benefit largely because of uh, his performance but I think partially even because 
he was uh, such a prominent player in that defensive transformation. So I think that's why you have to to give him that award for sure. But um, removing the, the rookie tag from both of those awards that we were just talking about and going to defensive player of the year and offensive player of the year, Daniel, who are the, the two guys that you decided to give the awards to for those categories? Oh, yeah, this is kind of where things... Um, I mean, I, one of them feels profoundly obvious to me. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year, I, Aaron Donald, I think, is really entering the conversation of best defensive player ever at any position. Um, year in and year out, he is the best defensive player in the league. And I, I feel like the only reason he might not win this award is because he's going to get the poor Bill Belichick syndrome, where you are just the best every year. So people kind of stop wanting to vote for you. Um, but yeah, Aaron Donald is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Uh, he, he does things no one his size should be able to do. He can play pretty much any position along the line effectively, and he, he produces. So that one feels obvious to me. Um, offensive player of the year. I, I really want to see Derrick Henry get it. Um, I would love it to not be a QB award. That would make me really happy because MVP, we all know, is going to go to a QB. So I think I think this one would make sense. I think, was it back in 2015 when Peyton went absolutely off and I think Peyton got MVP? And I think Adrian Peterson got Offensive Player of the Year and he had a ridiculous season that year. Um, I think that was that 2013. Wrong. 2013, yes, sorry. So I would love to see that happen again. Um, same deal, give, give MVP to whichever quarterback it's going to be and then let's go Offensive Player of the Year for Derrick Henry. And you know what? I uh, I don't have any differing opinion when it comes to those two, actually. So um, Aaron Donald, I feel, is a, a relatively obvious choice. I think TJ Watt might be in that conversation as well. But Aaron Donald, again, uh, a very prominent figure in that LA Rams defense that was one of the best in the league, similar to Chase Young with the, the Washington football team. You know, when you're the face of that defense and that defense is as good as it is, um, you're going to get a lot of recognition for your role in it. And so I think uh, Aaron Donald will definitely uh, capture that award. Um, when it comes to the Offensive Player of the Year, this one was really tough. Travis Kelsey was another name that was quite intriguing, having mm. over 1,400 yards as a tight end and, and being second in the league um, behind Stephon Diggs only in receiving yards was was very impressive and something I think that, that needs to be pointed out for sure. So if he wins the award, I won't be disappointed. But Derrick Henry had over 2,000 yards rushing. We know how hard that is to do. Um, so I think that, like you said, Daniel, he, he's not going to be MVP, but I think that he is ultimately deserving of the, the offensive player of the year. 2,000 yards is not something that's easy to do. And uh, what only eight people now have ever done it over the, the course of the NFL history, over the course of NFL history. So as far as I'm concerned, that can't go unnoticed. So then moving on to the big one, right? NFL MVP. Um, this award felt like it just went through some like crazy uh, roller coasters this season. It, every four weeks, kind of, it felt like the the favorite had shifted to someone else. But I, I'm going to be honest. I, I think in the end, one name stands above the rest as the obvious pick. I will I will leave that veiled and let you give yours and see if we agree on this. Sounds good. Well, one thing I'm going to say is that the player that seemed most obvious to get this early in the season was Russell Wilson. Never received Absolutely. an MVP vote in his career up to this point. And I remember making the comment that it's it's Russell Wilson's MVP award to lose. And he most certainly did that. And he lost to, <laughs> in my opinion, he lost that 
to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had a phenomenal season, and say what you will about Patrick Mahomes, but Aaron Rodgers, I mean, didn't get a whole more, a whole lot more talent in the offseason. And we talked about that last year, how they needed weapons in order to be more effective. They didn't get any more weapons. Aaron Rodgers continued to make his uh, receivers in Green Bay look outstanding when they definitely aren't. I think if there's one thing we learned about the Packers offense this past week, it's that Alan Lazard has no idea what he's doing. Devontae Adams is a stud in that offense, but everyone else is a pedestrian. And uh, he ultimately deserves MVP for everything that he did with those players that he has around him. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm going to make the statistical case for it because I think um, the stats really leave no other no other options. Um, Aaron Rodgers was seventh in passing yards this season, and that is the worst statistic that he has. Um, he wasn't even top 10 in pass attempts, too, which is worth noting. But first in passing touchdowns, eight ahead of the next best guy, 10 ahead of Patrick Mahomes. First in QB rating with a 121.5. That, that is ridiculously high. Um, first in completion percentage at 70.7. Um, and let's see, how many interceptions did Aaron Rodgers throw this season? Because that's kind of something Aaron Rodgers is amazing at. Oh, yeah, only five the entire dang season. Just insane. I hate Aaron Rodgers so much, but he had the best season of his career. He had the best season in the NFL this year, and there is nobody else who can even come close to beating him out for this award. Yeah, I would agree. And so, um, yeah, honestly, no other opinion to give on this one, Daniel. I think that that's fairly obvious, and I'm expecting that to be the case. Um, at the NFL Honors next Saturday night, right? Um, an exciting season for him, and ultimately it did pay off in playoff success. But, I, yeah, I think wherever Aaron Rodgers will go, the the 37-year-old MVP um, just goes to show, man, if you have a quarterback that's performing well, it doesn't matter what age they are, they can lead you to, to, to great success and put up big numbers. And so I think this is the year of the old quarterback. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say that before Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, but if he does, uh, I think it's un- or it's uh, it's underrated having a, a quarterback older than 35. I'm calling you out, Matt Ryan. <laughs> also worth noting is that Aaron Rodgers actually had three rushing touchdowns as well, like total touchdowns of 51, just just insane. Um, so yeah, we I mean we generally agreed with those awards. It, it felt like a pretty obvious year. I'm not gonna lie, it doesn't really feel like there's a there's too much intrigue. I think executive and coach will be the two that. Um, we'll have a bit more, maybe that offensive player of the year award, but I feel like for the most part, a lot of these are pretty settled. So, um, who knows, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the NFL will try to make it more fun than that. But I think these are, um, yeah, in a pretty obvious situation. So as we wrap up, what is the, the second last episode of the, the season this year, it is worth mentioning that we do intend to continue over the off season, working through, um, what we think teams are going to need, right. Breaking down, um, every division, uh, looking at obviously the draft as it comes up, free agency, the big signings, these big QB movements, and um, I mean Super Bowl, and then on to another incredible off season. So, uh, with that in mind, with a lot of excitement, looking forward to what I'm sure is going to be a heck of a football game. We will see you all again next week. 